today is a great day because it marks book launch day. Uh, for those of you who have pre-ordered a copy of The Seven Figure Marketing Mindset for Novelists, it's now in your possession. I have to assume that the moving wheels of all of the physical book printer type people have shipped the books and they should arrive today, I think. Uh, I know for sure if you bought an ebook, it is now available inside of your e-reader. So go ahead and eat that bad boy up. Here's the truth. I have done a terrible job in one area of marketing this book, and that is seeking reviews from my readers. I've been relentless about asking you to buy it in different ways, but I have not asked you to review the book. So when you do dive into it, do me a favor. It makes all the difference in the world if you leave an honest review on Amazon, and I'll let you know that if you're willing to take a picture of your mug holding the book and add that to your your review on Amazon. Amazon prefers those reviews and it helps with the algorithm. So that's a huge ask. Uh, you have to have confidence in your face to do that. Um, I've done it for a few uh, authors that I love and I don't care if you do that as much as I care that you just leave an honest review. Even if you think it's a crap book and you want to give it one star and rant and tell everybody that it's worthless, feel free, please the truth is, any publicity is good publicity, and those reviews mean the world to an author. All right, on with the show. Another reason that it's a brilliantly great day is because my friend and longtime pal on Twitter, Heather O'Brien, is my guest. She's also the very first traditional version of a story episode on TRBM. So that's really exciting. You're going to love this story. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been recording these over the past couple of weeks and every story episode is unbelievably fun as we explore how to best tell the story. Quick reminder for you, uh, I cut all of the silences and any awkward pauses or moments out of these conversations where there might be a need for uh, clarity or maybe we take a wrong turn. So this is an edited product to a degree. And one big reason I'm telling you that is if you're listening to the show and I ever invite you to be a guest, please understand that I do edit the stories to make us all sound as best as possible. And that's a huge part of writing. I've always, always prioritized editing our stories. And so I'll do the same thing for you when we're telling these stories. So it might feel live and in person in the moment, but the listeners are going to hear a beautifully edited product. So, all right, I've blathered on long enough. Please enjoy this story with Heather O'Brien. If you've ever gone to a reading and felt bored, TRBM is the show for you. TRBM is for writers what time-lapse was for painters. Guitar solos and spotlights were for bands. What chainsaws and ice blocks were for sculptors. What does TRBM stand for? Totally real bookmaking. Telling righteous ballads, man? Toast, ravioli, bologna, and manicotti. The reluctant book mess? You decide. What we're going to do, Heather, is you'll be in the you role. So you are the person in the story, but you're also writing the person in the story. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. So you are in your daughter's bedroom and you find a little baggie of white powder in her sock drawer. So the the start of the question is, what do you do about it? 
and we want to make sure that it's not laundry powder or powdered sugar or any other one of many things that might be, you know, residue or whatever. And so what I would do is what you see on the on the top shows all the time, right? They get the baggie, they do, they dip the finger and they touch it to their tongue. Mm-hmm. So that is what I would do because before I would confront her about it, I'd want to know what it is and I certainly wouldn't want to be lied to. Hey, just a quick intervention. As I was editing through this episode, I recognized that there were times when Heather's audio wasn't perfectly crisp, but I just enjoyed the story a lot. And I figured if you needed to suffer through a couple of moments of kind of grainy unclarity, it probably would still be net-net a benefit to enjoy this story episode. I know I enjoyed it a ton. And so I do apologize. I did everything I could. And unfortunately, there were moments where not every word comes through perfectly clear. Still, on the whole, this is an absolute barn burner of a show. Thank you. Absolutely. Okay, so here's the the two things that I think of based on on that response. The, The story to me goes one of two ways. And story idea number one is, I personally have no clue <laughs> what I would be expecting if I touched like say cocaine to my tongue. And so I wouldn't, I, do. I don't. Ha- okay. So, so there you go. You have the knowledge inside the story oh, to know <laughs> what you're dealing with. Heather is, is a, is a heavy cocaine user. <laughs> Let's not talk about the eighties, Joey. <laughs> All righty. So moving right along. <laughs> um, so, and then my other, my other thought was as soon as I saw a reply similar to this on the tweet, I thought immediately fentanyl is, is where this story has to go. I don't know physiologically, but I'm wondering to myself, what if you put that like powder on your tongue and it was fentanyl? There's one way that you turn this into a supernatural story and the fentanyl just uh, immediately kills you. Is that a possibility? Cause it seems like it's a possibility. It is a possibility. I actually, cause when you had originally responded to me on Twitter, you're like, okay, you're dead. And I'm like, but I just spit it out. I spit it out. <laughs> but I went and I asked my husband and, and you know a little bit about his background. And, yeah. and I went to him and I was like, so this is what Jody said. Now he says I'm dead. And he's <laughs> like, yeah, you would be because it takes so such a yeah. little amount of fentanyl and it absorbs. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'm, I'm glad that, cause that was my, that was my thought process. And I think that makes for an interesting story right now because it immediately is now a discussion about, uh, fentanyl. And in a way, you just saved your daughter's life. Okay. So the story moves on and, and you die because you overdose on fentanyl accidentally trying to, to give your daughter the benefit of a doubt. And so your, your spouse, your husband comes home in this story and he finds you dead in your daughter's bedroom with a bag of white powder. What does he do? <laughs> well, he would probably, the practical thing is he would probably see the bag. Mm-hmm. He would not touch it to his tongue because that. <laughs> Because of his past, he would not do that. Yeah. But he would call the police, obviously, or nine one one or whatever. Yeah. He does he do does he suspect that this is uh, your intervention and and assume that the powder came from your daughter, or is his first assumption that you had some kind of relapse from your 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 wild uh, time in the eighties? Uh, what what is his belief about you at that point? Well, he would. If, if we're being honest, he would probably figure I got it from her room. There I am in her room. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it was hers. And that 
he would probably know exactly what I did. And he would yes. also know if I was dead, what it was. So I think so. That just happens to be his real house. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think that that's the case too. What I really enjoy about this, and I'm going to have fun with, with uh future guests doing it too, is that it's hard in this, this uh story frame, not to bring yourself really intimately to the table and creating the story. So I, I enjoy that. So now you are in the story, some kind of ghost or your, your spirit, your presence lingers on, you still exist. So you have the ability to influence the trajectory of the stories. What rules do you want to put on yourself that you have to follow? Are you the kind of ghost that can move objects? Are you the kind of ghost that can leave emotions? What sort of ghost are you? See, this is outside my my, uh, my realm. I write suspense, so this is actually yeah. a stretch for me. So that's kind yeah. of good. Um, <laughs> I want to be able to touch things or move things. Okay. Um, I'm not sure what you mean by uh, as far as the emotion, but I. I like that. I like the sound of it. What is, what would that mean? What would that give me? Yeah. So the, uh, my, my thought process when I'm thinking about maybe doing some kind of ghost or supernatural presence is that, uh, if you lean into like religious traditions, for example, a lot of times people will say they can feel the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so maybe you're the kind of ghost where you're able to in some way interact with your husband and give him like just a modicum of comfort that you're, you're okay or something like that. And that's one possible way. You also have, more like the horror tradition of ghosts where you could make the room cold and feel eerie and, and horrific and scary. So there are different ways that you could be. And maybe, I, I don't know. I mean, you'll have to tell me, are you upset at your daughter for having done this to you? Do you feel any sense of resentment toward her? What are your feelings toward her? And does that influence how you actually express yourself? Actually, that's a great question because my bigger concern. I, my, I would be concerned for my daughter. I would be concerned that if it killed me, then <clears throat> as so many parents are, you know, better me than them type thing. And it's not that I devalue my life. It's just that she's my daughter. Yeah. And I would be thankful that, at least hopefully, that I saved her from that. I would definitely reject the horror if I could and yeah. be more you know, be more emotional in the sense that I could, like, almost like who I was in life, my emotions would still be felt as if I were there. I don't know if that's okay if we do that, but that yeah. would definitely make them know that it was me. Yeah. I like that. What I really enjoy about that is I feel like it sets up this, this conflict that's going to happen in the story, the way that, that I'm kind of envisioning it moving forward. So your, your presence is still there. Your husband has done all the right things. He's called 911. He's, he's taken care of you. He's grieving. He's immediately reaching out to, to your daughter to make sure that she's okay and that she knows what happens. Um, and then when the two of them are together in the house, uh, there's some kind of communication between them where he does have resentment toward her because he chose you, uh, and, and you took, excuse me, she took you from him. So he has resentment and she has resentment for you being involved in it and feels guilt that she got you killed. So now you have this kind of like three way kind of emotional conflict. What do you see as being the, the, the agent that thickens the plot here and what direction does it go off in? How, how does that, that confrontation happen when all three of you are in the house together? 
Well, I think I, the funny thing is so much of this gets home in a certain in a certain way. And I think what would happen would be that my husband would would confront my daughter, but I know him well enough to know that he would be as concerned about her as I am. Yeah. So because of our relationship and, and the things that we've discussed, it will be good that I left first because that's what I've always told him that he's <laughs> not allowed to go first. So I think yeah. that as much as we love each other, we also, it, it's almost like that would be the way it, we had wanted it to go as far as who goes first. So there's that, but he would definitely have a talk with her and he would be concerned about her because, and he would tell her, you know, this is, this is what your mother died for. And this is what's going to kill you. I mean, he would do that almost like, an, I don't know if I want to call it an intervention, but he would certainly have that conversation with her. And if my presence was there, I imagine that as he is lecturing or, or you know, having the conversation with her, if one of them, one of the other of them went off the rails as far as they went too far in the direction, it, it was going to spiral out of control that my my emotions would fluctuate and they would feel that too like mm. if i'm getting frustrated with my husband he would feel that it's like back off right and if my daughter was getting resentful because of the way she is it would be more like almost like wrapping my arms around her in a way that would contain her it's not to control her but it's to let her know that I'm there and that she needs to buck up. She needs to, she needs to rethink her position and, and her, her reactions to things. Yeah. So with any good story, you have to have a refusal, some kind of rejection of, of the, the call to adventure. Uh, and the call to adventure is for the daughter to, to walk away from drugs. And so despite your best effort, despite your husband's best effort, your daughter gets angry. Uh, and accusatory and she says uh things that she doesn't mean but really believes at the moment like you know i'm I'm glad mom is dead or uh it's your fault that she's dead because you didn't you know care about me enough or whatever she might say and she leaves the house she leaves the house but she's also tremendously afraid because she realizes that had she used uh what she thought was cocaine Later that evening at the party she was going to, she would have died and likely uh, anybody else that she shared it with would die as well. Uh, and that that weight of having killed you and that almost killing herself and her friends is is really great. And so she goes and she wants to confront the dealer that she bought it from, uh, which is probably an unwise decision. Uh, how does that process happen uh, and what's that confrontation like? She would probably go, she would find the guy because she's very emotional, she's an extremely emotional girl, she would she would do like I would do. She would go head on into it. And I believe that in that situation, whoever was the one who got it for her probably got it for her because she's, she's a pretty girl. She just is. She's a pretty girl and she tends to be a little bit manipulative. So it would be a case of he was probably attracted to her more than anything else. It's not like she has a lot of money. So she would, he would probably have been attracted to her. And when she confronted him, I imagine there'd be 
fight the fight. What I don't think she would do is threaten to call the cops or anything. So he wouldn't have that threat um, from her. She would just be really, really angry. Not, I'm, I haven't been a drug dealer, so I'm not sure how he would respond to that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of curious. I'm wondering about him and I'm wondering, does he, does he know that some of the stuff that he's been selling is, is laced with fentanyl? Do you think that he was aware of that? I mean, you, you, you hardly can to be alive today and not know that there's that risk that, that any kind of drug like this could possibly be laced with fentanyl. Um, do you think that he's, uh, naive in any ways or did he know? And, and that's kind of a character flaw that he didn't care. I think that he was out to make money and that he may or may not have been aware to any to whatever extent right maybe he wasn't maybe i don't know that he was sinister but he certainly was was irresponsible and i mean he's a drug dealer yeah so he want he's out for the money and so he's probably scared when she confronts him not because she's mad but because of what that could mean for him right mm. and what that could mean for others and maybe the fact that she's getting mad, but maybe not saying he doesn't know that other people that he's sold it to might not also come to confront him and it might be a lot worse than what she's got. Yeah. Yeah. I think that feels, that feels true to the situation. So, we, I mean, and it, tells me about these two characters that they're both a little bit on the younger side. They skew a little bit younger because there's some sort of idealism in both of their behaviors. Um, I'm curious. So there's, there's a couple of things right now in the story. I feel like we're not using as well as we could for, for the purpose of making the story kind of fully fleshed out. One is the fact that you're a ghost. Um, I wish I had a better sense of the rules of, can you follow your daughter when she leaves? Can you just be there and then recede into the background? And uh, you could almost be like the narrator character in that way to. Yeah. I think that that would be the best use of my time. If my husband and I were, you know, solid and, and at peace with, I mean, as tragic as it is, at peace with that situation, I think both of us would be more concerned about her. Right. So we would, so I would, of course, follow her. And I probably wouldn't want her to confront the guy because I'd be concerned. I mean, it's like, I just died for you. I almost said her name. I almost died for you. So <clears throat> why would you go and confront the guy who, I mean, you don't know, he can have a gun, he can have something. Right. So, I think there would be like a tugging at her uh-huh. um, before she she confronted him. And there may be a little bit of pushing him around on my part, too, uh, yeah. when she confronts him, mostly if he gets in her face or harms her or seems like he's going to harm her. I would probably intervene at that point and yeah. push him back. I mean, she's pretty strong willed and she can pretty much take care of herself, laws aside. But I, I think that if he tried to any shenanigans or whatever, he was going to physically harm her or restrain him. I would definitely be pushing him back. Yeah, absolutely. And you have you have the advantage if if he doesn't really know that you're you're there. Obviously, I also really like the idea though that. Um, because the whole being a ghost thing is new to you, there's got to be some level of restriction on what you're capable of doing. Um, and maybe you have to, maybe you have to actually witness your daughter in a situation that really, really scares you. I don't know exactly how that situation plays out, but 
part of me is thinking in order for the story to really get the the reader fully, fully involved or the listener really, really involved in this, you have to do something at this moment uh, that, that really could be life or death. You have to up the stakes super high. What do you think, where do you think that the stakes go highest? I mean, because there is still the husband, um, it could be something with him, but I really do feel like the story is centering around the daughter and her redemptive story. So um Maybe, maybe she still has addiction type things that she's battling through that you weren't aware that she's dealing with that causes her behavior to be erratic or uncertain. Um, obviously if she's using drugs, there's some impulse control type of stuff. I'm, I'm right now sort of reaching for where do I take the, the heart of the conflict and, and increase it even more. Well, I would think that if, if I were writing it, I would probably have now, because when we were talking about the confrontation with the dealer, I, I was in my head, I was thinking it was outside somewhere. I think it would be better if it were inside and it was a place yeah. that was his, because then you've got people coming in and out to buy or to, to use or oh, I love women it. that will, you know, do whatever they need to for a hit, et cetera. So I would think that to get out of that, I would probably... You know, she's going to know, she's got to set, if she, if I'm able to like convey the emotions or, or to have that sort of influence on, on what they're perceiving, then yeah. I would, I would kind of try to get her out of that particular mm-hmm. space. But to your point, she would probably from there go in her grief and in her addiction, right? She would probably go to a friend's house and, you know, addicts tend to have you know, the lower companionship component, right? Yep. So she would probably go to a friend's house and I imagine they would probably start using. Now, it would depend on who's writing the book because Mm -hmm. my books tend to be very long as opposed to a short story. Yep. Um, I think that once she got to the house of her friend and I would be with her, as soon as she started using, I would think that I, want, I don't want to say like anger so much as frustration and worry. Yeah. That would make, that would make me as a ghost, it's so agitated and so desperate to help her yeah. that maybe I would discover one of two things, right? Number one, that I have going back to the horror, the ability to like shake the, you know, the, the surroundings, right? Things fall off of almost like an earthquake, right? Right. Um, so have that or that I would be unable to do that. Right. Yeah. So, you know, what's funny is, is you're, you're going there too. And in my mind, I was starting to conceive of the limitations that we were talking about on the ghost. And I was thinking in this particular story, the ghosts in, in, in this story can only draw so much influence from the people around them. So like the fact that, that you are with your, your daughter and your husband in the opening scenes means that they're really vulnerable to you being there. And so you can palpably change emotions. You can palpably change temperatures and affect your surroundings. But then your, your daughter goes and as she gets further away from her dad, she becomes a little less able to be affected by your trying to reach out to her so that by the time she's confronted the drug dealer, she's really drained. She can't even sense you there and you're almost just observing what's happening to her. 
then when she goes to use, it completely obliterates her ability to be influenced by you and you can't change anything. So you have to watch like helplessly as she's coping with this situation by doing the very thing that could have gotten her killed. That seems like uh, a kind of an internal logic to the story itself that would work really well to, to, to create a lot of awful tension. Right. And that would be good. And it would cause me to have to go back to my husband and yeah. try to urge, find a way to urge him. I don't know if it's the house. I don't know if it's the connection. I love it. You know, but that, that actually fills it. I don't know, re- regenerates the energy or does something, but to somehow maybe compel him in somehow in some way to leave him to where she is yes i think that that's great and i think that it opens up for a really good conflict so he goes you're able to urge him to go and he goes to find his daughter and he's able to even kind of sense the path to where she is because she's with a friend so she's not at her place and you wouldn't otherwise know where she is but he arrives and his presence being a masculine presence in this case i think probably he has more like masculine energy and an ability to be angry and maybe there's another male there who then really wants to perform in like a male capacity and so he tries to posture and tries to start a conflict i my husband can take care of himself so i know <laughs> that's probably good yeah it seems well, like and would... i think that what he would want to, i mean more than anything he wouldn't be there i mean he could take care of himself yeah. But he wouldn't be there to beat everybody up, right? He would be there to, right. to rescue. And I, I keep wanting to use her name. I, I just <laughs> want to rescue her and get her out of there. I mean, on one hand, when you're dealing with addicts, it's really, um, it's, it's hard because you can never make them do what they don't want to do. But at that right. point in time, if she's physically using, then he would, he would, you know, be able, he's certainly, she's just an itty bitty thing. And he could certainly like physically remove her from that place. Yeah. Unless there's, yeah. Because she's, you know, she's, she's can't be grounded. I mean, she's an adult. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking too. And I'm also, I'm also thinking there's something curious about, I've, I've experienced this in my life before and I've actually never been in a, a physical altercation outside of, uh, with, with my brother. My brother and I are, I've, I've never physically fought another man. This is a quick fact check. Wanted to amend that story because even as I was telling it while talking with Heather, I recalled that I have been in one physical altercation outside of my brother, and that was with a young man at a YMCA when I was in high school during swim practice. To be more specific, it was before swim practice, and if you arrived early, you could shoot around on the basketball court before suiting up and jumping in the water. There happened to be a guy there playing some basketball, and we decided to play a little bit of one-on-one. Things were getting warm. I was doing better than usual. I was hitting some good shots, keeping it close. And I could tell the guy was peeved because I was always really nerdy and knobbly and lanky and just not terribly athletic. And he could totally read that on me. So he got right up in my face at one point and said, I'm taller than you. I know. I'm thinking back on this and I'm like, it can't possibly be right. But I know that it happened this way. And I was like, no, man, I'm taller than you. And I like nose to nose. Not even thinking, just like, this is a fact, okay? I am clearly taller than you. At which point he shoved me to the ground and started to kick me. So 
that counts as a physical altercation. Um, I went into the fetal position and tried to protect my pimple-covered face. End of physical altercation. Back to the show. But I felt there's a certain kind of energy that happens when two men are in a room at opposing sides of any kind of dispute where you want to prove yourself. And I can only know what it's like to be me. And I can only know what it's like to hear stories of other men. But this is kind of a common thing that there there becomes like a desire in you, even that that supersedes kind of the, the rational part of your brain that's like getting angry right now is not going to solve anything. So I'm kind of wondering about that with your husband in that situation in the story. Does he maybe get a little bit out of his head because of all of the situations that are going on and maybe make a choice that that further complicates the situation, maybe alienates him from his daughter? Maybe well, I think that what he would do, first of all, he would not initiate anything. Plus, he would yeah. know all the people present there are messed up. Right. right. So they're yeah. out of their minds too. That's right. So and he, and he's had a past. That's right. Pardon? Well, I just was saying, I was remembering, recalling some of the details of the story that you set up that he has a past of experience with this kind of stuff. Right. So it's in his wheelhouse. He's very much right. like, in a sense, so, he's in control in this environment. Absolutely. It would be something that he would definitely be able to handle. But so he would try to talk everybody down and, and neutralize that. But if, if, the posturing male came at him, he would not so much fight him as he would want to equalize him. And maybe that means one punch, right? To just yeah. knock him out or something to, to prevent him from being a, a more physical deterrent in trying to get the daughter out. Because I mean, you've, I, I don't know how many people would be in that room. But you've got to figure her friend would be there, which is a, a would be a female, probably, and and then, or who knows, could be my daughter's boyfriend could be there too. I mean, there could be enough people, but but because my husband would be sort of the rational person and someone who knows how to deal with you know drunks and addicts and 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 all of that, he would certainly. He would certainly know. And plus, you have to also remember that a lot of these people that are taking fentanyl, they mm -hmm. think it's meth. And meth, um, right? you know, it, it can make you be a little crazy. So I think he would probably assess the situation and try to keep it neutral. Not he, Physical violence would not be his preference, yeah. but he would neutralize it to the extent he needed to and then take her. Yeah. So there's, there's a couple of things. And, um, I'm kind of curious if he brings a weapon, if he's concerned about the kind of people who are here. Um, it's not him. He wouldn't, he would not bring a weapon. Okay. And it's weird because we're like writing this, right? Exactly. So we're yes. writing this, but uh -huh. it's, it's the scenario is so close to home for you in some ways. Enough where yeah. Kind of, it feels more like an interview. <laughs> and he does as far as making things up. It's like, well, he's not really like that. It's like, right. well, maybe the character would, but no, I mean, but if I that's... were writing it close to home, he wouldn't. Yeah. So part part of the trick, if this podcast works in this new format, part of the trick is that everybody who's listening right now is really upset that we didn't take a certain turn in this conversation to make the story like do X, Y, or Z. Like Right now, they're they're hearing the story and they're engaging with it and they want something to happen and we're not doing it. And they're like, I want to go write the story. And 
really, that's the permission I'm giving everybody right now. So as soon as we're done, there will be some kind of a story summary on my Substack when I publish the, the episode so that you can listen. And if you love it, you can write the story and you can do whatever you want with it. You can back up and, and take the pieces you like and, and do something totally different. Um, you can change the genders of people. You can change the scenario as much as you want. I think that what this shows though is in your case, you've been a writer your whole life. I've been a writer for a good portion of mine and loved stories for a long time. Um, there are people listening who I hope are just like maybe interested in trying to tell a story and have never written before. It's my deep seated belief that everybody can write a book. It's also my deep seated belief that a lot of people think it's easier than it is. Um, and that, you know, a first draft is not a finished product. So whatever story you and I are telling right now, it would have to go through multiple drafts to be a, a finished, beautiful thing. To your point, Jody, I mean, as you were saying that, it's like, okay, so if I take off my mom and wife hat, right? Yeah. And it just so happens that this scenario might not have been the best choice for me only because it, it's so personal. But I mean, yeah. I've written from personal places. Yeah. If I was a writer, would I would change it enough to make it so that my, that my husband grabbed a gun, he went there, he probably wounded or killed somebody in trying to get the daughter out. And then yeah. we've got a worse problem because I'm all into worse problems. Exactly. So yeah. And that we is, have, yep. we have an accidental death and a ghost. We have an addict and we <laughs> yes. have a murdering. Uh, well, I mean, he was, I mean, that's murder, right? It I is. Mean, it's, or, it's murder and it's, it's a father murder. committing murder in front of his daughter, which the, the stakes right. of that is insanely high. Um, because like she's killed her mom. He's killed somebody that she knows right in front of her. Yeah. I mean, if, if yeah, if you're listening right now and you, <laughs> you want to take the story somewhere, that probably is the direction to go because that's enough tension for the entire book just to, to, to try to recover from those moves and figure your way out of that particular puzzle would create a great book. That was the other thing that I was thinking about is where do you get your emotional resonance? Cause there's something that happens in the very beginning that like, I love that, that you did go so personal because then the husband slash father character really has ties to this community. And so I think in some ways it, it at the end, when it resolves, there's catharsis for him um, that goes well, even there's deeper. There's catharsis for all of them because now you've yes. got the daughter, right? So, so we're in a neutralized setting as far as, as me, right? The ghost, because yeah. it's in this, this place. I've already compelled the husband to go. He's, Probably he would have against, well, you know what? Maybe his nature isn't to have brought a gun, but because now I'm mama bear, right? Mm-hmm. I would have like influenced him to take the gun. So which makes it harder for him because oh. now he's, he's either injured or killed somebody. And yes. then oh. you very, very likely will have whoever it. So let's say that the, the, the guy that was shot wasn't the daughter's boyfriend, but the friend's boyfriend. And now you've got the friend all upset and going, you know, daughter, you know, I don't, I don't want to use her name, but um, why, why are you, so she could be, you know, all messed up in wanting to confront. And then the daughter would be concerned because now there's something about, and this is, this is, I think where writers might not like sit down and think about it as much. There is something very traumatic about a, a gun going off. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's loud 
and it makes you so that you can't hear. And it isn't, even though we, we, we see TV and we see movies and we see all these things, it is not normal to, to see and experience right. something like that. So if you're going to be real with it, then the daughter in that split second, right, is horrified yeah. and going through as, as an addict, you know, guilt and uh, look what I've done, right? right. The, the enormity of it. So now I've got my, my, my father, stepfather, whatever. And now he's done that and my mother's dead. And here I am. And now somebody, I mean, the enormity of that, if you yeah. wanted to make it a happy ending, you know, she would go with him. And I mean, yeah, my yeah, instinct is that everybody goes and turns themselves in. That's my instinct. But interesting. That's because that's, I don't, I just can't imagine the husband on the lamb forever or whatever. No, definitely not. So, yeah. He either, he either has to be in it, it, the way that the story is set up. He almost either has to be a casualty or right. yeah, he has to accept like justice for his actions. And I do agree with you that it seems to me the catharsis in him, uh, accepting justice, not necessarily dying for his daughter or for his daughter to have, um, or for me or for you. Exactly. Right. It would yeah. Be for me. Yeah, because he exactly. would have taken that gun for me. Right, exactly. Right. Yeah. So, well, and so that was the other thing when you mentioned that. That's another. That's another piece of this story that I at least would would really want to explore. Is I don't, and this is so. This is where it gets into the philosophy of stories, and I really love thinking about the philosophy of stories. But am I trying to tell the reader? Am I trying to communicate with the reader about the importance of the living um, and and our responsibility to the people around us? Because death has this strange grief. Um, it's an almost an irrecoverable grief, even if you lose a beloved pet. I mean, um, not much less your parent or your sibling or your, your, uh, daughter. And so I think, or, you know, there's something to be said for that. Do, do we push the story into a direction where you as the ghost have to accept that in order for everybody to move forward and accept responsibility, you have to stop trying to influence things? Or uh, do you want to go the opposite direction and acknowledge uh, the power of, of the dead? Well, you know, that's an interesting, uh, that's an interesting thing because here you've got, so it becomes more like the husband and the ghost, right? Everybody yeah. was so focused on the daughter and saving the daughter, right? Yeah. But the husband also, I mean, you can almost make some of these ghost stories, um, love stories, right? Yes. So him facing the inevitable because he pulled that trigger, right? He could be resolved to that because, you know, at our age or whatever, you know, it's almost like, okay, well, if his, if his life was me and my life was him, right? Mm -hmm. Then him, if, if she can, if there can be some redemption for her, then there's a piece for me that he would want. If he's been feeling all these emotions, right? Yeah. Then there's a piece that I'm going to feel if the daughter is somehow either jolted or, or confronted to such an extent that, that her story can not end too tragically, right? That it's almost yeah. like he, it's almost like a series of, of, sacrifices because if i as the ghost right i sacrificed myself trying to make sure that this powder wasn't right gonna like kill her 
yeah. or kill me. So I sacrificed myself. Yeah. But, it, but there's another sacrifice, and that's his sacrifice. And everybody's sacrificing themselves for her. And right. maybe, maybe then at the trial, right? So she could like, she could be, she could have run away. She could have done any one of a number of things. But then the trial comes up and he's convicted and she has that moment of clarity where she realizes all the sacrifices that have been made for her and what a mess it's created. Yeah. And all the, you know, six degrees of separation type tragedies that have happened. And right. maybe that's the catalyst for her to see yeah. herself and be honest with herself so she can actually start recovering, in which case the ghost is satisfied. And I mean, I hate to say it, so is the husband. Right. Yeah. I think so. I, I really like, I love the way that that story goes. For me, that's a story worth writing. That's a story worth exploring how the first draft evolves and what kind of things you discover inside of it. It seems, it seems like a really perfect story. Um, well, and it which takes is, some of the horror out because we're so, mm-hmm. it's so easy to write, uh, you know, the horror genre. And then, and but when you start digging into the attachment and, yeah. the, and the emotion of things, I think that it makes, it, it makes it so much bigger and interesting. I've always been a fan of literary fiction. I think what I'm, what I haven't really talked about on my podcast or to too many people, um, in the, the Twitter world, um, is that for me, literary fiction is my favorite genre to read, to write. And it's also really difficult to sell. Fewer people read literary fiction than just about any other genre. Um, but what we just did was was write a kind of a literary speculative uh, story right there. It, the, the, the core of it is the relationships. The core of it is the love um, and the, the character change. And it's really, it would be a horribly boring story if you weren't amazingly insightful on your characterizations. If you couldn't really identify with the father and feel like I know exactly who this man is and same with the daughter and the the mother, all of those three characters have to feel like you know them from your real life. And if if you do that, then the kind of a fairly thin plot becomes really powerful. Um, so I, I love that. You know, it's interesting because I don't know how what your position on this is, but there are a lot of triangles in writing, right? Because you've got your emotional needs, you've got your spiritual needs, you've got your physical yeah. needs, and those make up a, a compelling and real person, right? But you're also talking about a trio of people in here. So you've yeah. got that triangle too, because you've got couples, and then you've got children to parents, and then you've got the addiction. You've got all these different triangles yeah. in here, and I think that's what makes a fuller and more complete and compelling story. Yes, very much so. Very much so. It's a good one. So if you're out there and you're listening right now, uh, anybody can write this. Five different people can write this and it would not be the same, uh, the same book. I guess now's as good of a time too, to, to reveal that almost all of the story ideas, this one, um, being an exception, but almost every story idea that I have, I actually borrowed the synopsis of a book that I've read and just updated it or changed the details or the genders or the professions. Um, 
And that just goes to show that uh, all the stories have already been told. And it's our responsibility as writers to make a new story uh, or an old story fresh in new ways to see different angles. So um, don't be daunted that you're going to write something that somebody's already written. Go ahead and just take the story and run with it if that's something that you want to do. Otherwise, hopefully it's been fun to hear us perform. Uh, my guess is that after you've listened to Heather kind of spearhead this story and steer it to such a fun outcome, you're going to want to read her books. Heather, I know that you are going to be publishing here in the near future. Tell listeners where they can find your books and how they can follow your journey up until they can actually hold one of your books in their hands. Well, you can uh, find me on Twitter, of course, at RealHeatherOB. And um, my website needs to be revamped, and that's part of this process that we're going through to relaunch my suspense series it's uh the music is murder series and uh so right now you can find me at the heather o'brien and o'brien is dot com. so the heather o'brien at the heather o'brien.com um you can find me on twitter and i'm on facebook but you really would want to go back to twitter for now i will be expanding that and getting that out there uh the first book in the uh the saga is going to be relaunched uh, right around April 22nd, and there'll be more stuff coming out on the Perfect. I think if you're listening, you probably know the importance of pre-orders, but as soon as Heather makes those available, you should run out there and grab yourself a copy ahead of time because every copy that sells before publication date counts for the week of publication. Um, and magical things happen when you sell a lot of copies in a one week period, like lists and things of that nature. So um, it's been lovely. Thank you for being, I guess, kind of the guinea pig for 2023 in doing this story format. Uh, if the other episodes coming up are half as good, it's going to be a great show. So thank you very much. Thank you, Jim. Thank you for listening to TRBM. The theme music was provided by the ever-talented Christopher Talon. And hey, if you liked what you heard, share this show with other readers because what's the point of telling stories if nobody's listening?